through his followers in the early church. We just call it Acts because it's a little bit shorter than that. You know, I had a conversation uh, just last night with somebody, and they looked at me a little bit funny because I, I think that they, they socially drink from time to time. But I had a conversation with somebody, one of my friends, um, who, who is a believer, though he's not in a church exactly like ours, and I was telling him how upset I became at a certain incident um, where there was drinking among some underage people, and, and I happened to be in, in attendance, and, and this was a, a little bit ago. But I, I lost my temper over it. You ever lose your temper over something? You were right about the topic, but you handled it the wrong way. That, that, was, that was me. That, that, and, and I was upset. I was upset, and I let them know that if they were going to behave, you know, in such a way uh, around family members and stuff, that that, that that needed to stop. Of course, I said it much more politely <laughs> just now than I, I did at that time. And I tried to explain to him why I lost my temper that bad, because I see people uh, through ministry that get so destroyed uh, by alcohol and, and substance abuse. And until you've dealt with the, the horrors of seeing the ins and outs of what happens when it finally bites, you know, it says that sin, when it's conceived, bringeth forth death. You know, in the end, there's this horrible destruction that happens. And when you see that firsthand and you're there to pick up the pieces, by the way, as God's people, we should be the first to warn folks that they're headed in the wrong direction, and we should be the first to the bottom of the cliff they just walked off of that we tried to keep them from walking out of. We ought to be the first to the bottom to help them pick up the pieces, right? That, that's where we ought to be. And so I don't mind uh, doing that because it's part of the ministry, but at the same time, it grieves me to see people playing with dangerous things. It grieves me to see people playing with dangerous things. I would see it sometimes in different areas, not, not just um, substance abuse and alcohol, but I remember being in college and having promising young people, when I taught at college, I should say, down at Crown, and I saw promising young people, and they started dating somebody that was a bum. Now, they didn't know that they were a bum, but I knew that they were a bum, right? And I thought, oh, don't, don't date him, or oh, don't, don't date her. They were so on fire for the Lord, they were so excited, they were ready to go into full-time Christian service, and then they got hooked up with somebody that just absolutely dragged them down. They were unequally yoked, not in the sense of one was a believer and one wasn't, but someone was serious about serving God, and the other partner was not serious about serving God. And so their marriage became, in some ways, unequally yoked because of the passion for one and the, the um, coldness of the other. Sometimes it's bad doctrine, whatever it might be, but when you see somebody make sinful decisions, even sometimes it can just be one, it, it can spiral out of control and destroy their lives. Um, can people still be saved and make these kind of decisions? Most, most likely, uh, of course, they cannot lose their salvation. The question would be is whether they were saved in the first place. But it's not that they lose their salvation that, that grieves me about it. It is that they lose their opportunity. They lose their opportunity to, to serve the Lord, and they, they bring upon themselves a lot of earthly consequences. And that, that is heartbreaking to watch. You know, most Christians want their lives to matter. I don't know a, a single Christian that I've talked to that's like, I don't want my life to matter, right? Uh, you know, the old cartoon, the after-school special, no one grows up saying that they want to be a junkie, you know? Uh, it, it's that, the same idea. Nobody says that they want their life to matter little, but 
there's, there's plenty of people that are not followers of Jesus, and they'll give their lives to gaining wealth or achievement or uh, education or pleasure or comfort, acquisition, whatever it is, and they squander their amazing gift of life on things that are shallow and, and just really are temporary in nature. And when Christians do that, when Christians do that, it's all the more grievous. And so we ask ourselves the question, and we see it tonight in our scripture, what can we do that will make a difference now and for eternity? And how do we keep from wasting our one life? And if we don't step up and engage in God's work, does God's work stop moving forward? And can we always jump right back on at the same place that we got off? What does scripture tell us about this? Well, there is a missing member of the 12 disciples now. There's a missing member of the 12 disciples now, and uh, the now apostles. And so what happened, and how did God's work continue afterward? So we're in Acts chapter 1, in verse number 15. The word of God says, And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, The number of names of them were about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost, by the mouth of David, spake before concerning Judas which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue, Ekeldama, that is to say the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, And no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Wherefore, of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias, And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, which from Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Let's pray together. Father, may your word open to us tonight. May we have the mind of Christ. May we see what it is you're thinking about in this passage. I pray that your word would be quick and powerful as you've promised, and may it accomplish what you send it forth to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, in those days, the passage starts off. What are those days? Well, this is after the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The people that he called to follow him during his earthly life and ministry have now been made his apostles, his sent ones, the ones that are going to continue on the ministry of the local church there in Jerusalem, but also take it to the uttermost and all the places in between. But Peter notices that that something must be done. There were supposed to be 12 of them, and Jesus promised that the 12 of them in the resurrection would rule over the 12 tribes of Israel, and the, the numbers are off. They don't add up now. Now they're not the 12. Now they're the 11. And so they said something needs to be done about it. And so in verse 15, it says, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. You know, Peter has had quite quite a transformation by this point. And we're going to see more of it uh, next time we visit 
on a Wednesday night when we see the power of Pentecost and Peter's preaching. But anybody remember what Peter was doing when, when uh, Jesus was being questioned and accused by the, the Pharisees and scribes? What, what was Peter doing? Anybody remember what Peter was doing then? Warming himself by the, the fire. Boldly standing for Jesus? No, hiding from little servant girls that asked if he was one of Jesus' followers. Whenever somebody said, hey, you have the accent of a Galilean. You, you, you were with Jesus. Didn't I see you with Jesus? I think you were there. And he kept saying, nope, I don't know the man. And he swore and cursed and said he didn't know him. He was so embarrassed and ashamed. And he had this moment of acknowledgement when he met the eyes of the Lord Jesus later on. And now here he is standing up in the midst of them. Uh, the leader, he was a spokesperson before, but now it seems like he stepped into this role of leadership. And he says, something needs to be done at this time. Something needs to be done. It says that there were, in the midst of the disciples, and there was about 120 of them. By the way, think about this, 120 of them. This is probably a good number for thinking about how many there were that would be actively ready to teach, to perhaps share the gospel come Pentecost. And it's going to go from 120 to 3,120 uh, after we see how many are going to get baptized. Well, we'll look at that later. But what a small number of people, the 12, Mary, the mother of Jesus, the faithful women that followed afterwards, uh, and, and Jesus' family, what they're going to do to turn the world upside down is going to be a testament to God's power because it certainly was not them that did it. He says that, that scripture must be fulfilled in verse 16. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost, by the mouth of David, spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. He recognizes now that in the Old Testament, prophecy was given, things were talked about that would come to pass. We have, uh, we have prophecy that is very, very old that refers to much about Jesus' life. You can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and see this. One of the reasons why I believe that the Bible is the word of God is that it has fulfilled prophecy inside of it. And every time that God says something will happen, either it has happened exactly as God has said, or it is yet to be fulfilled. Certain promises were made that I believe God in the end times is going to fulfill that he made to Israel. And I think that's important to make a distinction there between Israel and the church, but that's for a different time. He was saying that David spoke because the Holy Spirit was speaking through him. He recognized that David was the human penman, that when it came time to put pen or quill on parchment or on papyrus, that it was, it was David who did it, but it was the Holy Spirit who did it by him. This reminds us of 2 Peter chapter 1. Would you turn there with me? 2 Peter chapter 1. It's important that you have this confidence and that you're not lacking in confidence in God's word because you will be sorely tested in this life to decide which way to go. And when you choose to go God's way, it's going to put you in opposition with society and with culture, perhaps with politics and all sorts of things that are set out there. And you're going to need to know on what ground you stand. And so it's not just, this is the book of my faith, this is what the pastor said, but it's more than that. It says in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved 
by the Holy Ghost. This is an unusual book. This is an unusual book. And we should expect it to be an unusual book if it is the word of God. If God moved through mankind in order to speak and to, to, it shouldn't surprise us that it's like no other book. That it was written over a period of 1,500 years by about 40 different authors who had education ranging from fishermen to kings, most of whom never lived at the same time, knew one another, or read one another's works over three different continents and three different languages, and yet we have the perfect word of God from all of that. Now, I would, I would reckon, to use a little southern word there, that it's more believable to say that God moved through man to write this then men could conspire to write this because the historical documents exist. And you can go back and see where and when things were written. You can't go all the way back to the originals, but there is so much that you can go back to that is accurate, old, old evidence. And so when, when we think about the word of God, never forget what it is. Never forget the power of it. Never hesitate to build your life upon it because you're going to build your life on something. And it's probably better this than motivational uh, phrases that you see on Instagram or somebody's short clip on TikTok that they put something out there. It's, it, you, we need more than that. We have so many snippets of information today, but so little truth. And so it says that he, and Peter recognized it, that though it was David who wrote it, it was the Spirit of God. It was the Spirit of God who truly gave it. Well, he continues on back in Acts chapter 1, and he says that Judas was the guide to them that took Jesus. Judas, back in 16, Judas was the guide. Of, this is what he did. If you think back to what Judas did, the service that he provided was that Jesus' enemies wanted to get Jesus alone. Because when Jesus was in the crowds of people during those feast days, during those holy days, he was surrounded by people that loved to hear his teaching, that wanted to see a miracle, that were on his side. And when the Pharisees tried to do anything about it, they feared the crowds because they didn't want to end up having the crowds turn on them and stone them. So they had to do something sneaky and crafty. And so they schemed, and, and when Judas became uh, disillusioned with what Jesus was all about, and when he started having doubts, and then finally Satan enters into him, and he goes and says, I'll betray Jesus, I'll tell you where he is for money, that's when he led a contingent of the guards from the temple, certain captains, in order to find Jesus, where he often prayed. That's, and, and he came up and he gave a kiss to the Lord Jesus. Perhaps he had said beforehand, the, the man that I kiss, you'll, you'll know it's him. Indeed, he did say that, and he goes up and he embraces his master and kisses him, and then they all know who to take into to custody, and that's how that happened. How did it all start? We're not really told. We're not really told what started Judas down this path. I would really like to know. I would like to know when it began. I would like to know if it was Judas's desire to get rich from this, to have power from this. When Jesus started teaching about lowering yourselves and being servants and about how you should lay down your life for your friends, if Judas was just living for himself, all of that would have rubbed him very much the wrong way because he's not going to do that because he loved money. He loved money and he was willing to sell out the king of kings and the lord of lords for such a cheap price as 30 pieces of silver. And so when he did that, he lost that opportunity. He lost that opportunity. 
It says in verse number 17, for he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. He, he actually was one of us. He was among us and he did work. Just showing you that somebody can be around Christians and can actually do work on behalf of the Lord and not truly know the Lord. Jesus said to those disciples that were gathered in the upper room, the 12 were there, he's like, you're all clean through the word that I have spoken. But one of you, not, not all, not all of you are clean. One of you is a devil. And so we know that Judas was, was not saved, even though he was actively working in the things of God. And that is a great warning. That is a great warning to each of us, perhaps uh, not necessarily just for us, for ourselves, but to always think about perhaps our children or our grandchildren if they're raised around the things of God, because it's very easy for people that are very familiar with the things of God to just go along with the flow, to not really act out, to not really get involved in any kind of terribly indecent sin, but just to kind of go along with it and, oh, well, my friends are getting saved, so I'm going to say I get saved. You, you want to deal with that very carefully because you never know what's going on inside of the heart of someone because when Jesus said that someone will betray me, they didn't all go and look at Judas and being like, Tim, you know that you can tell who the bad guy is in a movie as soon as he comes on screen, right? Very rarely can they pull the switch perfectly. Even, even in a whodunit, you sort of have a feel of who it might be and they didn't have that feel about him. Apparently, he had convinced the people around him that he lived with and traveled with that he was not some sort of scoundrel well we know that judas in verse 18 now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity and falling headlong he burst asunder in the midst and all his bowels gushed out oh i didn't have my mic on dave my bad i just turned it on we don't need both anymore i went to all the trouble to have him get me extra batteries and i didn't turn the thing on i'll hear about it later So what happened after Judas realized what he did? Well, he tried to go back to the people that hired him and say, I can't, I can't take this money. This is, this is wicked. And they say, well, we don't care if you feel guilty about it. We don't care if you feel bad. And he cast down the money and he went and he hung himself. He went and he hung himself. He couldn't bear to live with the guilt of what he had done. It says that this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity. And falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. It's kind of gross. That's kind of gross. You say, what, what is going on here specifically? Right? Did he buy a field, and then because he made a bad purchase, he had some sort of hemorrhaging? What, what happened here? Well, let's look in Matthew 27. Let's look back at the account here. Matthew 27. What a gruesome end. Matthew 27 and verse number 3. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel. And Isn't that a little bit hypocritical, by the way? All of a sudden, they're now worried about doing right when they just had a man innocently killed? Hold on a sec. Let's go back to this. Getting, getting a little... Yeah. 
Getting a little distracting. The chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore, that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver at the price of him that was valued, whom of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord appointed me. So this fulfillment of prophecy, even to this extent. But what happened? What's with this bursting asunder and all of that? Well, there's a couple different ideas of what happened. Both of them are gross. Does anyone actually want me to go into this, or can we just move on? Some of you are saying, yes, you want to know. I do this in Good News Club. I'm like, oh, guys, do you want to hear something gross? And they're like, yeah. And like, no, it's too gross. You don't want to hear it. You don't want to hear it. It's too gross. And they're like, no, tell us, tell us. Right? So how many of you want to know? (laughs) all right all right some people want to know you can plug your ears right check your email grab your phone for a second okay so he hung himself and the two thoughts are what happened well that his corpse was left there and it bloated so badly that his his stomach burst from the the rot or he hung himself over a, a cliff and he fell and was dashed below because of where he was and that's what caused it it was a bad way to go let's just say that it was it was a messy situation of what happened to him and this is judas's betrayal prophesied they they knew that it was going to happen it says in verse number 20 back in acts chapter 1 for it is written in the book of psalms let his habitation be desolate and let no man dwell therein and his bishopric let another take this is referring back to psalm 69 Back to Psalm 69, just want to show you that briefly. There's much of the New Testament that refers back to the Old Testament. People that try and disconnect the two of them are are mistaken. In Psalm 69 and verse 25, it says, Let their habitation be desolate and let none dwell in their tents. It's this language that is made mention of. There's a couple other passages, but for time's sake, we won't go too far into it. But the book of Acts here says, let another take his bishopric, his office, his office of religious service. Somebody else, somebody else needs to take that. And so that was the situation when we get to verse 21. Wherefore, of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up, from us must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection what did they need they needed somebody to be set aside somebody to be ordained someone to be specially chosen to be a witness to be a witness of jesus's resurrection they needed to be there and there were some requirements on what that was they needed to be there for the time since jesus was baptized by john the baptist and if you remember the the spirit descended upon the lord jesus as as like a dove They heard the voice of God the Father speak, and Jesus' identity was confirmed. And so from that day until the day he was taken up, remember, Jesus died, was buried, rose again on the third day, was around for 40 days with his disciples, appearing to them and to hundreds of other people. They saw him alive after his public execution, and then he was taken up into heaven. And so they said, somebody who can start from the beginning to the end, who has seen all of it, needs to be a witness. They need to be able to go and to tell others, listen, I saw the whole thing. I was actually there. This is not hearsay. It was eyewitness account. 
because they knew the skepticism that people would have because of the false story that was put out in place of the truth. So Judas is no longer one of the 12, so now we need somebody else. And these are the requirements. These are the requirements. Wherefore, of these men, so it needs to be a man, needs to be somebody who was with us from the beginning, and these, these are the boundaries of that. So in verse 23, and they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. Now we're not told much about either of these men. You have, you have Joseph Barsabas, who also was sometimes called Justice, and then you have a man named Matthias. Um, not much is known about them. Here's what we do know. They fit the requirements. Both of them had been with them from the very beginning, from when Jesus was baptized all the way through to the ascension. They had been there. They had been watching. They had been seeing and participating. One Old Testament scholar thought that um, Matthias might also be Nathaniel, but I, I didn't find anything to justify that. I think it was just somebody's guess or somebody's idea. So we don't know who these men are, but we do know that they fulfilled the requirements. By the way, it's important when you're ordaining somebody to ministry that you look at what the requirements are. This, was, this is not something that generally comes up in, in our church here, but one of the very first questions that I got when I was in India during question and answer time was, um, can, can women be ordained as preachers? Now, I didn't know, but I had stepped into a little bit of a hornet's nest of their own internal dynamics, right? There are a group of liberal Baptist churches there. When I say liberal, I don't mean politically. I mean they don't adhere to the scriptures, right? They, they view it as it contains the word of God or it's somewhat loose and we can choose to believe what we want and not believe what we don't want to believe. And so there were some people that uh, they, they wanted the American to chime in on it is what, what they wanted me to do. And I said, you know what we should do? Because I felt like I was being baited. You ever feel like somebody asked a question and they're trying to like bait you? So I'm like, well, why don't we look at what the Bible says? That's a safe place to be. So we go and we look at what the requirements are for a pastor. We go and look at what the requirements are for a deacon. And prior to Clown World 2022, a wife, or excuse me, a husband of one wife has to be a man. And it would have been in the context of Scripture. Right? So the husband of one wife is pretty clear that you're talking about a man. Well, and so we looked at that. So it's important to look at those qualifications and to take that seriously. It's not that God doesn't value women. It's not that they don't have a place in ministry. Just a few uh, messages ago, we talked about who were the actual people that stood with Jesus when he was at the cross. It was John and the ladies and Jesus' mom. The guys weren't found. Who, who went to the, temp, uh, the tomb the first day? It was the faithful women. Who supported Jesus' ministry financially and materially? It, it, was, it was the women. So don't, don't ever let somebody tell you that the Bible demeans women. But there are different roles that have been assigned according to the scripture. And either we're going to do it God's way or we're going to do it our way by pressures of society. Don't let that throw you off. It's important that they looked at the recommendations. So they, they took these two men and they prayed. Isn't that a good place to start? They said, we've got two people that fulfill this requirement. We need to pray and find out which of them can, can actually be this person. Because here's what they wanted. Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. They wanted to know God's choice. They didn't look and say, you know what? Justice over here, Joseph Barsabas, justice, 
he's probably from the south with that many first names, right? But here we got Joseph Barsabas. Maybe he was the, the better looking or the taller or the more finely spoken, or maybe Matthias was. Maybe the people thought we like Matthias because he's got money in his family or something. Who knows? But that's not what they went with. They didn't go and try and figure it out. They didn't grab a, a yellow piece of paper and make an Annie chart out of it, and drawing a line down the center. They, they, they went to prayer and asked the Lord, what would you have me do? I want you to know it is not unwise to make a list of pros and cons. But that ought not be the first thing we do. The first thing we do ought to be, Lord, what do you want? What would be pleasing to you? Prayer should be the place we start and not where we end when everything else has failed. And I'm saying that not as a rebuke to all of you, but as a rebuke to myself and a reminder to myself because of how easy it is to rush forward in the flesh. Well, they committed it to prayer. Verse 25, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas, by transgression, fell. I want you to think about the ministry and the apostleship of these men. The first local church, the getting of the gospel out to so many different nations, the vast majority, at least according to what history and tradition tells us, is that a number of the apostles are going to go into foreign lands bringing the gospel, and they'll be martyred for their faith, and they will, they will bring the, the gospel to Ethiopia and India and all sorts of places, right? We don't know um, for sure, but we have what tradition tells us, what some of the church fathers wrote about these things. What an amazing opportunity to be in at the, quote, ground level. And Judas missed his opportunity. Because of his selfishness, because of his fleshliness, because of his greed, whatever it is that was at the beginning of that, he missed it. And now somebody else was going to take his place. Did you see that, that Judas repented? He felt bad about what he did. But there was no way forward for him. There was no way forward for him. And so he took his own life because he betrayed the Son of God. And now somebody else is taking his position. It's a great warning and also a great encouragement. You know why? It's a warning because nobody, not even one of the 12, is indispensable. I am certainly not indispensable. Pastor Steve is close, but he is not indispensable right? We can all be replaced if need be, because God's work, here's the encouraging thing, God's work will always go forward. God's work will always go forward. Here's the question, will you and I be a part of it? God's work will always go forward, but the question is, will you and I be a part of it, or will we allow something in our lives to rob us from the opportunity to step into all that God has for us? I want you to think about the treasures in heaven that are awaiting people like Peter, and James and John. And, and, and even in the second generation of them, if you want to think about Paul and Timothy, think of Bar, uh, Barnabas, think of the, the treasures that are waiting for them, getting everything started at the ground level, dealing with all of that persecution, suffering shame for the name of the Lord Jesus and the reward that that brings. Think about what they entered into in heaven and what Judas missed out on. That must be one of the most heartbreaking things. As far as I can tell, Judas's repentance was not in the sense of repenting and trusting the Lord as Savior. I don't think that's what happened. I think that he became so overwhelmed with his guilt that he couldn't handle it. And he couldn't live with the guilt. And so he took his own life. And so to this day, most likely, by everything I can read, Judas is suffering in hell. Thinking, even 2,000 years later, thinking of everything that he passed up on. Everything that he lost. 
It's a serious thought. But they needed somebody to continue on because God's work would continue on. And so in verse 26, they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. So you know who gets chosen? Matthias. You know how he gets chosen? By lot. That's weird. You ever drawn straws? You ever drawn straws and never gets the shortest straw is the person that's chosen? You know, you cut wood to different... They would oftentimes use that or perhaps have stones and maybe one's a different color and they would reach into a bag and they would pull it out and the different color would mean something different. It was a way to make a decision based on chance. And you say, that doesn't sound very spiritual. You say, that, that sounds actually a little bit suspicious. Like, do we want to leave something this important up to chance? Well, but before you judge them too harshly, look back in Proverbs 16. Because they didn't just come up with some random idea. Every morning, as you're turning to Proverbs 18, every morning, um, my kids, that when we have family devotions, there's different parts to our family devotions. If you use that family devotional guide that we have out in the, the lobby for your kids, there's a couple of paragraphs to read, there's a fill-in-the-blank Bible verse, and then there's the thought to glow. And I got four kids, and they all want to do different things. And so I have a little app on my phone where they all put their finger on it at the same time. And it chooses one of the fingers to win. Well, and then that person gets, you know, first person that wins gets the paragraphs, and they're out. Second person who wins, they get to uh, do the thought to glow at the bottom. The third person that wins, they, they end up doing the uh, fill-in-the-blank for the Bible verses. The last person, they get nothing. Though we do start with them first for prayer requests, because, you know, they're young. They're young. Everyone gets a participation trophy, right? But in Proverbs, Proverbs 16, verse 33, the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. So this was not using a game of chance to figure out if something was right or wrong. This was not a game of chance to figure out a moral. Here they had a choice between two what seemingly were equally good options. Both of them fulfilled the requirements. They were willing to put both of them forth, and they left it to the Lord by making it a, an idea of chance. Pretty interesting that that happened. This is the last time that we can find in Scripture that anything like this has been determined by lot or by chance. It's always good to understand a passage, but let's also discuss some applications tonight. First of all, have confidence in the Word of God. Have confidence in the Word of God. That, that would be our first point of application. Have confidence. The early church was confident in the accuracy and the reliability of the word. They believed that the prophecy spoken in the Old Testament was being fulfilled right before them where they were in that moment. They recognized that it was inspired by God. Peter said what they were all thinking, that though David wrote it, it was the Holy Ghost that spoke through him. And so they understood that their life was affected and bound by its truths. We should, like them, put our confidence in the word of God realizing that it is a firm foundation and that we should trust it over anything else. What are the other things that we should trust it over? Well, we should trust it over our feelings. We should trust it over our own conclusions, our own understanding. We should trust it over culture and what the norms of culture say, over politics, over media, over philosophy, over anything that comes into conflict with Scripture. It, it loses 
it, it loses because Scripture is the Word of God. It is the highest authority. It is our supreme and final authority. And so you can trust it. You can build your life on it. Trust its promises. Have confidence. Second of all, don't miss your opportunity. Don't miss your opportunity. Judas betrayed Jesus Christ and lost his opportunity. He lost his office. And it led to the destruction of his life as he had everything crumble down around him. He probably thought, this is a sinking ship here. Jesus has made so many people mad. He's, he, he's, he's in trouble. I better get while the getting's good. I'll run off with the purse from the ministry, and I'll also get some extra silver in my pockets from Jesus' enemies, and I'll be the only one that comes out on top. That's not how it turned out for him. He probably had it all figured out in his, his uh, numerically gifted mind, if he was truly the, the treasurer, as many people think of him. But that's not how things played out. In fact, it led to the ruining of his life. It became the ruining of his testimony. Did you notice that everybody in Jerusalem in that passage knew why that field where they buried the strangers that died in their city and had no tomb, why they, they called it the field of blood? Because of Judas, and they knew who Judas was, and they knew who he betrayed. His name was ruined. His life was ruined. He felt no option but to take his own life. And his opportunity to do something great was given to someone else. Sadly, one sinful decision has ruined many promising people. Moreover, a slow decline has ruined just as many as you get a little more and more off course. So you and I have been saved, we have been gifted, we have been called if we're children of God, and we, we should be very careful not to ruin it. We should be very careful in a moment of anger, in a moment of lust, in a moment of greed, not to ruin the great opportunity that has been set before us to do something for God. Now I want you to know we serve a God who is very merciful. And the Bible promises that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But, though we may be right with heaven, it does not erase the consequences on earth. If you break somebody's trust on earth, even though you repent of it, and God forgives you, you still deal with the brokenness all around you. If you end up getting into legal trouble because of greed, you may be able to ask God for forgiveness, and he will forgive you. But that doesn't mean that suddenly the investigation goes away. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden you don't have earthly consequences. If you, because of lust, engage in something that ought not be done, though you may repent of it, that doesn't mean that the, the heartache will be gone. All of these things are very, very serious. And so I praise God for his forgiveness, but I, I don't want to make a mess of my life on this earth <clears throat> and miss out on all that God has for me. Don't, don't finish weekly. That's, again, why I got so fired up when my friend was talking about drinking because I've, I've seen it destroy people. And they played with it like it was a toy. They played with it like it was a toy. And I can't get this other thing out of my mind. I, I, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. We should stop playing with sin. It will eventually ruin you. Just because you have gotten away with it up till this point does not mean that you will always get away with it. What you've been experiencing is God's mercy and an opportunity to repent and to turn. God forbid that we should lose our testimony because of it, 
like Judas did? That we should have our life crumble in ruins because of it? That we should have our opportunity taken by someone else? Great news, though, God's work's going to go forward. God's work's going to go forward. So even though somebody may foul out of ministry, as they say it, they may commit something where they can't be involved in the work of God, perhaps in the same way, God's still going to move forward. You know what? I just don't want to get left behind. I I want to do something with my life. I think all of us would agree with that. Don't miss your opportunity. Finally, bear witness about Christ's resurrection. That's what Peter wanted. He didn't say, we need somebody to organize, we need somebody to strategize, we need somebody uh, with, with a head for marketing. He said, we need somebody who saw and experienced all of it and can be a witness for Jesus Christ. That, that's the ministry that we have here. We, we need to pray, and we need to preach, and we need somebody to do it alongside of us. And so, this is the message that we have to offer. This is what we have to offer. Um, let's not get sidetracked with any other message. Are there other good things that we could be talking about besides the Lord Jesus and his resurrection, besides his life-changing power? Are there other things that we could be doing other than evangelize, baptize, and disciple, like we talked about in the morning? There are other things we could be doing, right? Good things that we could make our message. But let's not forget what it was that they knew that they were charged with because they had just heard the Lord Jesus say it to them. And we, through the annals of history, have been charged as well as part of Christ's church that we are to bear witness. of it. Let's not, uh, Dr. Charles Keene used to say, don't major on the minors. He probably still says it. I talk about him like he's dead. He's not dead. <laughs> but don't major on the minors. Anybody know what that means? Don't make the small things into the big thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. Right? Yeah. Keep the main thing the main thing. Great advice. So if we help people, if we engage in ministry, all of that should be towards the effort of evangelizing people, seeing them baptized and discipled. So, first of all, I got to ask a couple of questions before we pray. First, what do you think about casting lots to make this decision? Wasn't that weird? When I came across it, I thought, what? I just figured that the Spirit of God would just be like that one. But I guess they did that in some way. Anyone have any thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, they're trying to figure out who among them had the sin. That's right. And they're like, what did you do? <laughs> He's like, yeah, my God's mad at me. Who's your God? Oops. Yeah, what do you think about that? Yeah, like laying a fleece. Mm -hmm. Right? Right, yeah. You know, the people that, how they drink the water and all sorts of stuff. God, God's used unusual signs for that. Yeah, Ron?
yeah, maybe it's not right for today. Maybe that's something that you put in the apostolic times just like sign gifts. Yeah, perhaps. Here's what I will say. Don't use it in order to do something that you know is wrong. But you're like, I flipped a coin. It must be the Lord. He said I can do it. God's word is God's word. You don't need to flip a coin to know whether something's sinful or not or something's wise or unwise, right? This was a choice where both answers could be good. So let's just keep that in mind. Yeah, let's just keep that in mind. What are some of the other messages besides the gospel that we could get sidetracked on? What's that? Okay, humanitarian aid. Now, is humanitarian aid bad? No, but would it be a problem if it became the main message of a local church? Yeah. Chris? What was that? Climate control. Oh, climate change? Yes. People get off on that. What else? Yeah, we'll put that down with climate change. Politics? Yep. Yeah. I would even say, yep, yeah, Jim? Social gospel. Very much so. Mm-hmm. We have to do more than make this world a better place from which people go to hell. We have to do more than that, absolutely. I think even inside of churches, it's possible to get, to get a, a hobby horse, as they used to say. Right? Um, and I think every preacher has something that just speaks to them more than because of their own past, because of their own giftings or lack thereof, their own struggles. But we got to be careful that we're, we're not just preaching the same thing over and over again to the exclusion of something else, that we're preaching the whole counsel of God. Because it's, it's possible to, to end up not teaching it because you get into something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How, how does it make you feel that someone can lose their opportunity? Sad? Yes. bigger. Your sin affects more than just yourself. It's my life. I can do what I want is the tune people will cling to today, but it oftentimes affects more than what they realize. 
And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas, by transgression, fell, that he might go to his own place. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your long-suffering and your patience. And Lord, for those of us that perhaps have something that we need to repent of and turn from before it ruins, before it becomes public, before it becomes so damaging that 